Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu. Happy Saturday. My name is Gabe Estel, and I am here with my wonderful co-host and good friends, Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Good. Uh, well, a uh, another trade deadline has passed. Um, trade trade deadline wrapped up Thursday, and as we were conjuring up ideas for this episode, um, we decided that we would apply baseball trades to some of our favorite bands and uh it gives us the opportunity to swap out some members for our favorite bands um i think really the only caveat that any of us had because it could be an old band it could be a new band it could be a band that's no longer together you know we didn't really like previous podcasts set a lot of criteria for this one um but probably the only thing that i kept in mind and probably this is for you guys too when you were making your selections um, I sort of thought if the person would be a good fit for the band that he is, he's yeah. going to, right? Um, yeah. I, so I thought about that. You know, that was that was the one thing I kept in mind. Like, oh, hey, would this really work? You know, like, right? Like, um, you know, I didn't I didn't have any traits that were like, uh, you know, Steve Vai for, you know, <laughs> for uh, for like Johnny Thunders or something, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> like that. Um, so yeah, that's a mind screw there, man. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, Steve Vai and the New York Dolls changes everything. <laughs> um, so... He had really high cheekbones, man. Did he? Steve Vai did have really high... does does yes I've... still he does have really high cheekbones. He, not he could work. have been a doll. He could have been a doll. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, yeah, he would look great in makeup. Um, so anyway. Um, we're going to talk about trades today. We're going to talk um, about the, the band trades that I mentioned, as well as some of the infamous trades in the history of the three franchises that, that, that we root for. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, before we get into the rock trades, um, you know, our three teams, uh, for those of you listening to the show, you know, that would be the Cubs the Royals and the White Sox. Um, the Cubs made a huge splash early. We've already talked about that quite a bit um, by trading the Shark, Jeff Samarja, uh, to a team that in Oakland that seems to just be stockpiling good pitchers at this point. Um, and then the thing that sort of – and the White Sox really just stood pat. You know, they uh, – it's kind of a team that doesn't really know where it's at right now. I mean, obviously they're not going to win the division. Detroit only got better by getting David Price. Um, and that rotation now is just pretty insane in Detroit. Um, but the White Sox just kind of stood pat because, you know, they could finish a few couple games above 500. They could finish below 500. So I think they just wanted to play it safe and didn't really want to sacrifice any talent. Um, or maybe they didn't get an offer that, that was enticing enough. But the thing that struck me about the trade deadline this year was – I would. I thought the Royals would be more active. So, Jonathan, I wanted to hear, before we get into our rock trades. I wanted to hear from you because it was a rather dormant day, dormant trade deadline for Kansas City. Um, yeah. And I see what you thought about that. If you were yeah. disappointed, if you felt as though uh, they should have been more active participants during the trade, the trading season this year. Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of people were curious because uh, they're you know they're hovering they're they're a few games above five hundred and they're a few games back of 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 the division and, and even less back so of the wild card and uh, but at the same time it's like um, well what you know what sort of deal could they swing and people 
you know, they, they don't want to see one of the young arms go in a trade, whether it be Duffy or Ventura. We want to, you know, we need to keep those guys because, um, because Shields is probably going to be gone, um, after, at the end of the year. But, um, you know, and then, and then the deal that Oakland ended up swinging, uh, for Lester, it's like, uh, I think, I think you texted me saying, Hey, you know, why, why couldn't the Royals pull this off with Shields getting, getting Cespedes for Shields? Um, and I wonder if, if, uh, uh, you know, maybe Oakland wouldn't have been as hip to that, knowing that the Royals have the potential to be in the postseason while the Red Sox don't. Um, uh, there was also right. word, uh, yeah. uh, th- th- there was uh, word that that uh, the Royals were uh, talking to Tampa about getting David Price. Uh, it never came down to names uh, to be included in the trade, but um, the Royals pretty much just had to, you know, nix it before it even got off the ground because they said, you know, they wouldn't be able to afford David Price next year. Um, and gosh, I mean, that is just this, the state of baseball is, is at this point where teams, they can't even afford a player, um, not just for like a new huge contract, but for, you know, one, another year's worth of contract. It's, it's a non-starter right. for them to go out and get David Price. Um, and so that's really a bummer um, because they, you know yeah they, they they were thinking about it but they couldn't even couldn't even get it going and and uh, I was just reading a Joe Pisnansky piece on on the Royals uh, uh, former Royals beat writer and now um, he's off on the East Coast but but he said uh, you know the Royals continue to live by this this idea that. Uh, the meek shall inherit the earth eventually, and right. they, they, they they keep you know they, they keep their payroll around um, uh, uh, a level that is the equivalent of being the meek in Major League Baseball, and it's just uh, yeah. you know it's it, the best so far it's resulted in is uh, being a few games above five hundred and um, being a long shot to be able to really compete against uh, a team uh, with a rotation like. Uh, Detroit has now or like Oakland has now so it's it is a bit frustrating yeah I the, um I I don't see them catching Detroit at all now barring like you know Detroit just undergoes just a major slide or some injuries um I mean that Detroit has five solid starters now I, I don't know other te- any other teams that really have like five solid starters <laughs> you know it's such a rarity I mean it's a rarity to have four you know right. I mean so yeah. So yeah, they um, that rotation is um, is pretty sick. Well, and Levi, they traded your boy Bonifacio is no longer. Ah! Did you see that? And then I was like, no, Emilio. Oh, no. no. yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's like Bonifacio isn't a guy you build the team around. You know, let's let's be honest there he's a great utility player he's a fan favorite um he plays hard uh he's he's younger than i thought he was because he's been in the league a while but he's only 29 i didn't know that until i looked up his age um but uh you know kind of tough because like he's he's the type of guy that that sort of fills out a roster for a competitive team at this time in the season you know and we're to atlanta is that where he went um who did he go to? I can't think of it. Uh, I think you might be right. I think it was a catcher. We got a catcher prospect from Atlanta, I believe. Yeah, I, obviously he went to a contender. I knew, I knew, uh, you know, yeah. any team because he's the type of guy that's, you know, he's going to start on the Cubs, 
you know, yeah. going to be the fourth outfielder on yeah. on the Braves. You know, yeah. it's so yeah. or, you know situational type player, and he's a good one at that. He's 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 yeah. One I think he was mainly one of those guys. As you want enough, you know, he may not always play every day. He may not always get a hit every day, but he's one of those guys like Bark. Other guys, I don't know. Yeah, you know. Um, I think his presence will be missed some, but uh, I think he kind of helped maybe teach some of those young guys yeah. to like play maybe a little bit looser, right? You know, than what they had been, right? Because I think some of them had been you know pushing really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, he could be a good mentor to, to the younger players, certainly. So, um, but uh, anyway, talking about uh, the the concept of this show and the rock trades. Um, Hold on one second. Sorry. Oh, uh, <laughs> little, little guy screaming for you. Right, he is. He is. <laughs> yeah, might have might have to uh, to keep the, uh, to the the loose talk after the show to fifteen minutes, maybe. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I I sometimes forget that uh, I'm not the one that's home with him all day. So <laughs> so anyway, um, all right. Moving on. Um, so yeah, obviously you know not. Uh, Cubs made a huge splash early, but after that, for our team, it's relatively quiet on the trading front, um, which I expected from the Cubs and the White Sox. From the Royals, though, I I sort of thought they would be one of the big players um, last week, but not so. Anyway, um, I want to talk now about um, trading band members. So this is something that I cooked up, uh, that we all cooked up, um, to align with the trading deadline and really what we're doing is we're taking two players you know it's of of the sort of the same instrument or maybe they're both lead singer what have you and we're switching them and kind of trying to imagine how it would affect each band and you know maybe this what type of music they would make with this new person in the band um so levi i'll go ahead and start with you uh, if you could tell us your your trade and uh, a little bit of the rationale behind it. Okay, um, my first trade has um, I think two guys that would really blend well in each other's bands, and that is Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead and Robbie Robertson of the band. Absolutely. And I just think they both have a really good sense of Americana and folk and um, traditional songwriting that. It, they would complement the bands, and it would just be neat to see Robbie Robertson be able to like go off and do super long solos. Yeah, and um, I think it would be neat to see Jerry in that dynamic of the band that they had because they were a little bit more of maybe I don't know rock and rollers than say the Grateful Dead were. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah, and I um, it would have been interesting to see uh, Robertson sort of stretch out his career a little bit more because, you know, they were after he left the band, um, you know, it was mm-hmm. I mean, relatively quiet. You know, I mean, he uh, yeah. he did some work. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, he he wasn't while a lot of people that were his age sort of continued into the 80s and 90s and and uh, and, and played pretty actively. He really didn't as much uh, yeah. at least with a with a storied group so yeah to have him play with yeah. the dead would be would be pretty yeah my my only uh prerequisite is they both have to have the little tiny small round eyeglasses right <laughs> right <laughs> i always liked those shots of robbie robertson when he was wearing those he had the little yeah. mustache yeah yeah, yeah. 
So would would uh, would Robbie sing? Because uh, because Robbie didn't sing much in the band except mainly backing vocals. Yeah. Would, would would he take over Jerry's vocal duties, or do you hand over Jerry's vocal duties? Um, I would say Bobby would probably take on more of the vocal duties, and then um, Robbie would definitely just be backup vocals, and then do all the lead work, and then also some of the rhythm. You know. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, did you know that the band, when they were kind of uh, sort of limping along in the 90s, they actually opened for the dead on a couple of those later tours, like 93, 94, okay. around yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. So who was Danko in the band? Who was in the band at that time? Uh, Helm, Manuel and Hudson. I don't. Oh, OK. I'm a Danko my I don't think so. I won't say it was just him. And well, no, Richard Manuel died in the eighties, right? He, didn't he? Hmm. Um uh, I, I right, eighty six. Yeah. Okay, so not yeah. But uh I guess yeah, I guess it maybe would have would have been Danko, uh, Hudson and and, and Helm. Yeah. And it kinda of rounded out the, the group there. I mean those are the, the three holdovers from the original group so yeah uh some some grim years for the band not not opening for the dead at, you know in stadiums is obviously a coveted gig but yeah some grim years for the band yeah. in the in the 80s and 90s yeah a buddy of mine saw yeah. him in the parking lot one time yeah like a parking lot kind of it into mm. to, yeah. Uh, yeah like the late 80s yeah yeah Manual. it, it, it is like, it's romantic to think that the it, last waltz was actually the last last waltz of the band <laughs> but it yeah. wasn't the last waltz is that of the band as everybody needs to remember them yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. even though his incarnations of them played for another 15 years essentially so yeah i mean yeah. it may have been interesting yeah if 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 jerry could have carried them through a little bit more consistently through the 80s and and the 90s yeah. up until uh, when he died, I mean, I guess in this fanciful world, he also still dies in '95 or whatever. But, um, <laughs> yes. But yeah, he maybe could have even that out a little bit more, and 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 Robbie could have uh, been a bit more consistently productive. I mean, Robbie did yeah. was was productive with his solo stuff in the in the '80s. Yeah, uh, he 90s. did a lot of solo yeah. stuff. Yeah, he did. He did. I mean, it's just. It's not, it's 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 not what people remember him. No, no. Yeah, there's no. a couple of records where they've got him like made up and in like dusters, like he's Eric Clapton. Like, oh, like, yeah, a la eighties. Yeah. So absolutely, they were trying to do whatever they could to help him sell records at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. Those were. I'd assume probably he was a guy that was. I'd have to look. I'd have to research it, but he was probably a guy that still maintained. He was probably on a big label still like his solo work in the eighties, you know, it seems like during those days, you know, you could, uh, even if you left a big band, you still got yeah. some able support, you know, on your, you could coast, not coast, you know, you're still, obviously they're, they're still making music and good music, but you could, you could coast on your name for a long time. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas today, oh, yeah. if that happens, like, like if, like if, uh, you know, I don't know, like Flea leaves the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know. It's not like Warner Brothers is going to put all this promotion <laughs> for Flea's solo record, you know. I mean, whereas whereas Dude, I, back 
then a, a better uh-huh. label would. You know, Robbie Robertson would leave. Um, shit, I, I'll put it into this perspective for you. Peter Chris left Kiss. Like, Casablanca gave him like four or five million dollars to make a solo record. Peter Chris to make a solo record that went nowhere got like four million dollars in 1980 just to piss away. You know? Yeah. So, anyway, I digress. So, yeah, so good choice, man. I mean, those, those two acts definitely, those are two guys that could that could fit right in. You know what I mean? Like if the band had a gig the next day, Jerry Garcia could, could hang, you know what I mean? Like it it wouldn't take a lot of rehearsal. I wouldn't think. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, well, uh, moving on, Jonathan, what about you, man? Your, your band swap. You know, I, uh, one of my all time favorite drummers is, is Steve Gorman. And I talk about that quite a bit. Um, you know, whenever I go to a black crow show, he always turns into the most valuable crow. Like, just his his performance is. Uh, I mean, it's it's easy to um, forget about his abilities when it's easy to forget about a drummer's abilities when the band is like you know six people strong. You know, so. Um, uh, but uh, uh, you know, the Black Crow is one of my all time favorite uh, bands, especially post uh, nineteen ninety. Um, and Pearl Jam being uh, uh, one of the other top three, probably post 1990. Uh, and so uh, Pearl Jam has been through a, a litany of drummers, uh, uh, pretty amazing actually. And uh, but uh, their current drummer Matt Cameron um, uh, has, you know, he's shoot, he's been with the band for um, since uh, what 90 or 2000. Uh, ninety-eight, no, ninety-eight tour, and then two thousand albums yeah. by normal. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, you can't really call him the new guy anymore. He's like, not. It'd be but, like calling Ron the new guy, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's still, you know, it's so it's like you have a whole thing, uh, a bunch of drummers there to think about. And I was cruising to me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I was thinking, you know, to trade Gorman for um, uh, to Pearl Jam for Jack Irons, who is um, Pearl Jam's drummer for for um, Vitology and, and No. I'm sorry, um, uh, only Stupid Mop on Vitology, and then um, into No Code and Neil Jack Irons was the drummer, um, and he's more of the, of the Crow style, I think. Um, you know, a guy like Aberzies or, or 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 Irons would be more the Crow style. Um, but I wanted to stay with with the current drummer, and and so um, the idea of, of shipping Matt Cameron off off to the Crows was still a little tough for me to think about what Matt Cameron would sound like in the Crows because when Matt Cameron joined Pearl Jam, I mean he changed what that band sounded like. I, I mean I I would I would guess that his impact on the sound of Pearl Jam is probably I mean no drummer could have a greater impact on the sound of a band. Um, uh, than Matt Cameron has had on Pearl Jam um, through the his song comp- composition, his style of drumming, uh, his backing vocals. It's it's pretty interesting, and you do get people who prefer pre Matt Cameron Pearl Jam versus current yeah. Pearl Jam, um, no yeah. doubt about it. But I, I think Matt Cameron is a pretty awesome songwriter. Yeah. Um, but he oh, yeah. he has a really unique style, you know. Uh, his his time signatures and things like that. Um, uh, you know his bridges are really complicated. Um, so I, I don't know if he would work in, in, in the Crows. So while you have while you put Gorman on on Pearl Jam, I, the Crows then have to turn in a three team deal and trade <laughs> trade Matt Cameron to Cream for Ginger Baker. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
Okay. So, right? <laughs> Three-way. It's it's a three-team deal. Sappy general manager's move right there. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, because, um, uh, yeah, and we're sending Matt Cameron back in time, which is an interesting proposition, because Cameron- Matt Cameron doesn't look like he's aged since, since 1990. Um, no, he does look for his age yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. he's kind of had the same haircut since like super unknown same, same face right, right. Oh, yeah. yeah 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 so that's um, awesome i, I could yeah. just perfectly i i, I mean oh, i yeah. i would hear steve play pearl jam so yeah i mean to see here here's steve um gorman on 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 like satan's bed or who you are or, or um even uh education um would be pretty awesome <laughs> Uh, Tremor Christ, oh man, yeah, um, and and to hear Matt Cameron on like uh, Tales of Brave Ulysses um, would would be pretty neat. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I also think uh, Ginger Baker. Uh, so this would be an interesting dynamic. The Black Crows would probably only be together for like six more months after Ginger Baker joins the band because they would just implode, right? Like <laughs> the countdown would yeah. begin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but to hear Ginger Baker on uh, like Black Moon Creepin' or High Head Blues or uh, uh, Let Me Share the Ride would be pretty choice uh, for Ginger Baker. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, uh, yeah. But, but yeah, but that band would be yeah. just like set on self-destruct. There's no doubt about it. It would probably, they would be good for one tour and like maybe one album and then they would they would all just go away um because uh i i think uh the uh, there's too many type a personalities then there at that point oh yeah yeah absolutely i i like the i love the three team deal that's that's an angle i hadn't considered so stuff there man well you know it really it goes back to what you were saying because you want you know th- these guys have to work in and obviously this is all you know hypothetical um the chemistry of a band is a very delicate thing uh and 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 but on its face Matt Cameron and, and the Black Crows just it doesn't quite uh drive and so that's why I, I wanted to make it work and so therefore we had to get another team involved absolutely cool yeah yeah, of, of nice. three that you mentioned, I think Steve's like the best fit. You know, like I mean, I, I agree. Well, that that was the goal. We had to get Steve Gorman on Pearl Jam. Like that was the whole crux of the trade. I I, I cross my fingers that like I I don't want this to happen. Like if Matt Cameron needs to take some time off, you know, like, well, Soundgarden has, needs to do a world tour or something. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Like seriously, like somebody. Somebody, somebody, get Stone's digits and like text him Steve's number, please. All right, yeah, uh, amazing. All right, well, with my trade, um, I've definitely got two iconic hard rock bands involved. Um, this this one this one sort of is time sensitive um, in the sense that uh, not time sensitive, but it's uh, this would, trade would take place in 1982. Because one of these members that I'm about to mention actually did ask to join this band, and they said no, and not out of spiteful reasons. It's just, just it wouldn't be a good fit, and his band was huge anyway. So why would he leave them? Blah blah blah. So the swap that I'm talking about is in 1982, Eddie Van Halen in exchange for Ace Frehley. 
All right. Okay. Ace Freely in 1982 quit Kiss. So he's about to quit, right? He doesn't like the direction they're going in. Um, in 1982, Van Halen and Kiss were definitely in different different spots. Van Halen's popularity was just rising. Yeah. You know, they were they were a state almost a stadium act at that point. You know, um, they were a band that who's you know they they hit it big in the late 70s and just continued on into the 80s. Um, whereas Kiss, once the 80s hit, you know, Kiss's popularity took a hit um probably just changing times um but also you know i think uh whereas kiss in the late 70s it looked like they had an edge uh you know they became sort of it became poppier and a lot of people just viewed it as silly you know there was nothing there was nothing dark or menacing about it anymore you know um so in 82 kiss uh just had finished the elder um, the year before, so that was like this is attempted a concept album, which I think is so bad it's good. Um, but in in '82, um, you know Van Halen had just recorded basically an album of covers. They recorded "Diver Down," which only I think has like three original tunes on it. Kiss made "Creatures of the Night." Ace Frehley's on the album cover, but he didn't play on any of the album. They had Vinnie Vincent come in. And Vinnie Vincent, if you might know anything about Vinnie Vincent, Vinnie Vincent was an Eddie Van Halen wannabe. He was like a, you know, he was he was yeah. a finger tapper, right? Let's see how many notes we can cram into one bar type guy, right? Um, so, but if they swapped, which Eddie Van Halen asked to be in Kiss because he was coming to becoming a bit disillusioned with Van Halen, um, it would have been interesting because I think that in Kiss you would have had a star as opposed to a hired hand joining the band. And Kiss has two people with one of the biggest egos in rock, and then probably one of the second biggest egos in rock in Paul Stanley. Um, to bring in Eddie Van Halen might have created a little bit of balance. You know, it might have it might have kept Gene and Paul, like, in check. You know, um, also I'd love to see Eddie Van Halen in the makeup, you know, because, <laughs> like, like in makeup basically for one more year after ace left mm-hmm. uh, and then they brought yeah, there are, vinnie vincent as the onk lawyer right so yeah, there are actually i think some some copies of creatures of the night that they made with vinnie vincent on them i, I think afterwards they after they ace had left they they put out a, li- a few of those yeah and uh, I, you, I'm, you saying that they changed the album cover right yeah like they swapped out um you know ace for for Vinnie Vincent. Wow, that's fascinating. So, yeah. and, and it was like a year later that they did that. Mm, yeah, like eighty two or eighty. Like the album came out in eighty two, and I think they did that wow. in eighty three. So, like, yeah, yeah, it was like all the all the first pressings have Ace, and then like when they had sold out of those, the second pressings are with Vinnie Vincent. I that's think, that's interesting. Well, I also read too um, that you know, obviously, this is 83 pre-internet a lot of kiss fans showed up at those shows and they didn't know ace wasn't in the band anymore you know what i mean just just oh yeah didn't travel that quickly you know i mean so you know they showed up and then all of a sudden there's this different guy up (laughs) up on stage so so that threw some people off um if that guy was eddie van halen they probably would have sold a hell of a lot more tickets than than they did in 1982 um 83 
pretty so shortly there, and then you know a few months later kiss took off the makeup sort of got into spandex and hairband and then sort of became you know sort of a bon jovi type uh warrant poison type act uh up until they put the makeup back on again now ace joining van halen um that's the piece of the puzzle that's a little bit more perplexing because um gosh you know they would have been they would have been making 1984 which if eddie didn't have anything to do with it it would have sounded completely different because if you listen to 1984 you can hear the groundwork being laid for the sammy hagar era you know um like the synth it's synthesizer heavy um the songs are there's more production uh, the songs are poppier. They're more accessible than you know some of the like any song on like Fair Warning or or Women and Children First. You know, um, uh, there's songs that, that you know obviously 1984 really broadened Van Halen's audience quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if Ace would have fit into that. Um, he he probably would have done the the guitar like the you wouldn't have heard the synthesizers on that album. The album maybe 1984 would have been a little more raw. So I kind of I would have liked that. I think. Um, and then with, uh, with, with kiss, you know, I'm, um, I think Eddie would have, would have just, he would have had really dynamic solos in the middle of kiss songs. Um, which as much as I love ACE, sometimes ACE's solos could be a little bit repetitive. So, so yeah, so that would, it would have been an interesting swap and it's something that, uh, at least, uh, Eddie Van Halen wanted to be in kiss, which is something that some people might not know. All right. Hmm. Yeah good stuff all around um i want to talk about our baseball trades now um uh this is we're sort of talking about a trade in um our team's history sort of an infamous trade um i've got one that i that uh that is you know pretty famous here in chicago uh but levi i'll start i'm gonna kick it back to you though because i want to start with your your baseball trade um that uh that, that went down in Cubs history, this was tough. Um, the Cubs have a very large, deep pool of these to, to select from. Um, you know, uh, it was really, really hard to just pinpoint one. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, some of the ones that were the worst during my time of being alive that I can remember is, um, you know, when they traded Dennis Eckersley. They traded Lee Smith um, for players that you would not know if I named them. <laughs> um, then in 89, they were trying to get into the playoffs, and which they did, but they traded Rafael Palmero and Jamie Moyer for Mitch Williams to do it. Uh. So um, that was a really, really bad trade. Um, in 98, same thing. We were, I think it was the wild card in 98. We were fighting to get in that and so we traded a young pitcher at the time you might have heard of him now his name is john garland we traded him for this pitcher uh, by the name of karchner and he's nowhere to be found now and we all know how john garland turned out hey you got a world um, ring yeah 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 so i to say the worst 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 cubs trade i would have to say would be i think it was 1962 it was lou brock for Ernie Brolio. And now I, you're going, who the hell is Ernie Brolio? And that's what I'm saying, too. No one knows who he is. Um, everyone knows who Lou Brock is, though. 
And the thing that was like the ultimate salt in the wound for this trade is that it was to the Cardinals, our division rival. And so for a couple decades, we got to see Lou Brock tear it up down in St. Louis and always be a cub killer. And it was just a really, really awful trade. Yeah, not a, it, it was tough to pick just one, but if I had to say that, that's the worst Cubs trade, I think, in history. I didn't know about that one. I, d- I, didn't, know, I didn't know that Lou Brock was on the Cubs at one time. He was a rookie in 1960, I believe it is. Yeah. Man. I, I, he had two crap seasons for us because we're, like, kind of struggling, and um, we just gave up on him. He was only, like, 23 or 4 at the time. Man. Yikes. Ouch. All right. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, if you notice, I mean, I have, like, it's a whole list of Hall of Famers. Lou Brock, Lee Smith, Dennis Eckersley. Raphael Palmero would have been if, if he hadn't gotten some with the Roids. Jamie Moyer could be in the Hall of Fame someday. You know, the Cubs the Cubs have traded away Hall of Famers. It's pr- There's a track record of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. What can you do? I mean... It's it's yeah. interesting. I mean, oh, yeah. when, when they're twenty three or twenty four, um, yeah, that's hard to swallow because it's like okay, now is when you're going to see progress, and it's right. like right. you know, not until Absolutely. they're twenty seven yeah. should you give up on a guy, so to speak. Um, I mean, unless you're just straight up trading a, a guy you think highly of anyway to get an established name. Um, and also, we're in a win now situation, which yeah. the Cubs were in in ninety eight. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I even some of the trades that were made this off season are certainly could could come back to bite teams in the ass. You know, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the Cardinals, I, to me, made a huge blunder the other day. Um, yeah, I, I thought they. That, yeah, I thought they got the short I, end of that as well. Yeah, I mean, they traded two younger guys in um, Craig and uh, Kelly who were both, you know, who have struggled a little bit this year, but, like, two starting players for for John Lackey at this stage of his career, you know? Yeah. Uh-uh. I'm, for a team that's already had a lot of success. I mean, the Cardinals don't win the World Series this year. No big deal. I mean, the ballpark's going to be full next year, too, you know? So I don't I, I don't get the move. I, I, inle- I mean, if they win the yeah. World Series, I guess my opinion doesn't matter, but... Um, but, yeah. But... <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, the win now thing certainly will uh, will cloud your judgment. Oh yeah, another one of those that ended up actually kind of working out a little bit for the Cubs was um, in I believe what it was nineteen eighty three eighty four. We traded a young up and coming Joe Carter for Rick Sutcliffe. Yeah, right. And and so that actually was like a fair enough trade. Like if huh. looking back on it nowadays, you know. Yeah, but and, you know, Joe Carter is the one who had a game-winning World Series home run. So. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> what if only the, only the second player to ever do that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, Sutcliffe was you know a great pitcher for the Cubs for seasons, but yeah, he didn't end up winning a World Series. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, of twenty three, twenty four year olds, um, uh, that's a good segue into what the Royals have done. Um, which, uh, just about 10 years ago, um, they traded a 23-year-old Jose Bautista um, to the Mets 
for uh, uh, at the, for Justin Huber. Um, Jose Bautista up to that point had uh, 25 at bats uh, for the Royals. Uh, they gave him a, a grand total of 25 at bats. Granted, Jose Bautista he he was on a few different teams before he finally blossomed with Toronto. So a lot of people didn't see that talent coming. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the Royals gave him a grand total of 25 at-bats before trading him for Justin Huber, who ended up having 20 hits for the Royals um, in his Royals tenure and seven RBI and zero home runs. Um, obviously, Jose Batista has had a few more uh, home runs uh, over the last uh, five or six years. Uh, but that one's tough. But the one that I, I just learned about, admittedly, today, and this is probably... I just learned about it because I'm not a homegrown uh, uh, Royals follower, is that in 1983, uh, the Royals traded a 19-year-old Cecil Fielder uh, to uh, Toronto for uh, a 32-year-old Leon Roberts. Um, Roberts ended up... Roberts had 250 at-bats for the Royals and eight home runs before he retired. Uh, Fielder uh, didn't didn't blossom until Toronto sent him to Detroit. Uh, we know Cecil Fielder had some pretty productive years uh, from '90 to '96. Uh, he had 300 home runs almost. Uh, it's six wow. insane. Yeah, and yeah. To, I mean to put that in perspective, the Royals' all-time home run leader is George Brett at 317. Uh, so. Uh, the, the Royals are the only team, I think, to never have had a forty home run, uh, uh, forty home run hitter in a, a single season. Uh, I think so. Have one? You said the Royals are the only team to have never had one. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, Steve Valboni yeah, is their all time single season leader. I do, I do now that I'm sort of combing my my brain and for. Yeah. For Royals teams over the last 20, 30 years, yeah, they've never really had a power hitter. No, no. Yeah. And granted, it, I mean, it's a big stadium. It's hard to hit home runs there, but at the same time, you gotta, you know, you'd like to think that Cecil Fielder's um, 51 home runs uh, that he had in 1990 yeah. would have been the equivalent of possibly 40 home runs for the Royals. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but he, I mean, he was 19 when they traded him. So that's 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 pretty tough. Granted, you know he didn't really start swinging. He didn't start raking until 1990. So six or seven years later, but that uh, that was surprising. Minor, when they traded him, yeah, he probably didn't have any big league at bats yet, right? No, no, he never had any big league at bats with the Royals. Um, he didn't until 1985. So two years later. Wow. Mm. And then he went to Japan for a few years prior to Detroit, I thought, right? I, I think um, he does have a year missing in his uh, baseball reference stats here. Um, so 1989, he may have been in Japan. Okay. Uh, 88, he was with Toronto, and then probably 89 was Japan. And then 90, he came back and hit 51 home runs, 132 RBIs. Yikes. Right. Yikes. Huge, because no one had really – not that a lot of people hit 50 now. But I, that was big because no one had hit 50 in quite a while. Well, no, yeah. So, oh, yeah. like, up until that point, um, there had been a – I remember when I – this was when I started really following baseball was uh, the late 80s. And no one had hit 50 home runs in the decade of the 80s. And, right. and 
and and meanwhile, there have been 50 home run hitters in every previous decade of whatever, the live ball, modern ball era, whatever. And so then he came in in 1990 and immediately hit 51 to to extinguish the drought of, of 50 home run hitters. Right. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, my my trade is uh, actually probably one of the most infamous trades in Chicago sports history, maybe even in baseball history. Um, at the time, little did I think any any team of any fan, excuse me, of the Cubs or the White Sox know it would be such a lopsided trade. Um, at the time, it looked like even probably the White Sox got the better deal because they. They traded an emerging player um, for for an established player. So the trade that I'm talking about happened um, in 1992, uh, and it was George Bell for Sammy Sosa, right, or Jorge Bell, depending on what baseball card you look at. Um, <laughs> oh, this trade um, at the time. As I was researching this, I learned a lot of things about George Bell, like career-wise, that I didn't really. I didn't remember and some stuff I didn't really know. Um, and also about Sosa, you know, the, the, the White Sox at that particular time um, were certainly in the, as I mentioned earlier, the win now mode. Uh, you know, that's when we like Frank Thomas and Robin Ventura, you know, and on the pitching staff, Jack McDowell, Alex, Alex Fernandez, um, uh, Wilson Alvarez, uh, you know, all of those, all of these draft picks that we had for a number of years had come up. And the White Sox now were, after some dismal years in the late 80s, were, were a competitive team, you know, um, just usually right behind Oakland uh, in the early 90s for, uh, for the division, when we still had the seven teams uh, in each division, um, as well as, uh, or not seven, but we had the two, two divisions in each league. Um, so in 92, Sosa, you know, there was a lot of potential there, but he hadn't really broken. He hadn't, he didn't have his break. He hadn't had his breakout year yet. He had, he was showing some flourishes of, of, uh, uh, he certainly was promising for the White Sox, but hadn't really happened yet. His, his average wasn't very high. Um, and we traded him for George Bell, who at that time was certainly, his numbers were declining a bit, but they were still good. And I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that George Bell's numbers were still pretty strong when they got him from the Cubs. You know, he was still hitting, you know, 25 homers a year, um, you know, over 85 RBIs. Um, you know, his batting average was was slipping a little bit, um, but he was still he was still a star player when the White Sox got him in '92. And um, really, we all know the story of where those careers went um, after that. Sosa goes on. Sosa arrives at the Cubs and almost immediately makes an impact. You know, 1993, Sosa starts kicking ass and didn't really basically went on a tear tear essentially of big league pitching. Uh, probably, you know, the best, the best hitter over those 10 years, probably. Um, and then Bell, um, Bell has one decent season with the White Sox. 92 is actually an okay year for George Bell with the White Sox. Um, you know, so it looks like, hey, the Sox might have gotten the upper hand in the trade. Well, the next year in 93, the White Sox were, were, were won the division that year. They were a strong team, but George Bell didn't really have anything to do with it. He was actually even, um, he was benched in the playoffs 
um, that year. So he could have faced his old team, the Blue Jays, in the playoffs, and the White Sox didn't play him because he had a bum knee at that point. And he very quietly retired the, that after that offseason. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, 93 was George Bell's last year in the league, and it, he really went out with a whimper on the bench in the playoff. Yeah. So, he was only 33. He was only 33, too. That was, that was the other thing. I wasn't really sure of George Bell's age, you know, like when he when he arrived on the White Sox. Um, he was he was he was 33 when he retired, which is relatively young to retire. And then also, I thought he played longer. He only had nine full big league seasons. Ten, I guess, if you count the one, last one of the White Sox, but he only played in about 100 games and he was injured and he ended the season on the bench. Um, so I just I thought that George Bell, you know, had a longer career. Um, and when I was when all of us were collecting cards in the late 80s, he to me, he was always like the good guy on the Blue Jays. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know mm-hmm. much about him. he was like the one awesome player. The Blue Jays yeah. had Tony Fernandez, him and Kelly Tony Gruber, Mickey, Dave Steve. But you know what I mean? He was he was their star before Joker, Jack yeah. oh, Morris arrived. Yeah, absolutely. World Series. He was their big stick, for sure. Dude, yeah. now, nowadays, George Bell would have been offered like a six-year contract when he wanted to retire. Nowadays, oh, they, somebody would offer it to him. Yeah, absolutely. 33 and still, I don't know, still hitting, hitting 20 home runs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I didn't know that George Bell... Uh, didn't have a very long well not necessarily a, a long career uh he was in he was basically in the big leagues for 10 years um and then i didn't know how young he was when he was re- he retired and also um i didn't know how good he was in the late 80s like i knew he was good but he he was the 1987 american league mvp i didn't know that prior mm-hmm. to looking that up today which i i i knew he put up some good numbers in toronto in the mid and late 80s but i, did, I didn't know he, he won an mvp he even so, got some votes in 92 yeah, yeah, that one year with the White Sox he even got some votes. Yeah. So uh so yeah, he was he was uh he he did a lot of damage um in in a short amount of time. Definitely he did. Um and then Sosa, you know, becomes basically the biggest athlete in Chicago since Michael Jordan, essentially. I mean, yeah. I I can't of anyone yeah. else. Yeah, for yeah. better or worse, for sure. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if Sosa would have stayed with the White Sox, he probably would have, uh, you know, he would have been hitting behind Frank Thomas. So that would have been pretty lethal. <laughs> um, so, that, yeah, they're probably you know, getting maybe, uh, you know, 90 home runs between those two every season. That would have been nice. Yeah. Um, so, um, but, yeah, so it didn't, didn't really happen. Um, and uh, the White Sox um, really... You know, 93 was a good year, but 93 to 2000, uh, you know, no playoff appearances. Made made the playoffs in 2000. And the Cubs, the Cubs, you know, during the late 90s had some pretty good teams. Some yeah, that yeah. Were, that were kind of on the precipice of... They were competitive, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, so, so, yeah, the franchise has moved in a little bit of opposite directions, whereas the White Sox in the late, mid and late 90s were always what it seemed like always like 82 and 80, you know, like all place basically up until the world series here in 05 we were we were kind of like a a perennial third place team for for about 10 or 11 seasons so so yeah um so big uh big trade there that uh looked like a good one at the time and then ended up going in completely different directions so yeah crazy so so yeah 
crazy stuff. Well, anyway, uh, I want to show our cards. Um, I've got uh, I've got mine here. Uh, I'll go first. I'll go, I'll go first tonight. I'll go, I'll, you I'll you treat fine. yourself. You go first. I will, darn it. Um, this is uh, the the Diamond King that uh, from 1989 that had the paint splatters on the side. I don't know if you remember that border for Donra. Red border. Um, and, you know, most of the time when I come across a Diamond King, Diamond Kings aren't, weren't always, we've had this discussion before, Diamond Kings weren't always the best player on the team. They were just somebody who was a key contributor the previous season, right? Um, this guy must have been that person because I, I had I never heard of him prior to stumbling across this Diamond King in my baseball card box about two hours ago. Um, this guy was on the Padres. Do you guys remember this guy, Ed Whitson? Ed, Ed Whitson, yeah, man. I don't know who the hell Ed Whitson is. <laughs> I looked it up, and um, he had eh, 1988, he had a really good season. Yeah. Um, well, okay, good. I had a really good six, 16 wins. 2.66 ERA. Hey, I'll I'll take that from one of my starting pitchers. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, he made the Diamond Kings here. And yeah, little little known that was that was like all he did. Yeah. After that, he had no other career basically. <laughs> no, no starting lineup figure. I was I was like, well, maybe he, if he was good in '88, that means he would have maybe received a starting lineup, and I can't find it. No. Uh, That's a nice. Ninety Don Russ too, by the way. Ninety. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. You're right. I'm sorry. It is a ninety Don Russ. Excuse me. Uh, no yeah, yeah. I got the got the uh, the uh, Jackson Pollock paint splatters on the side. <laughs> yeah, Our, that was the inspiration for for Ed <laughs> 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 This is Jackson Pollock actually made this Don Russ. It was a prototype. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. So anyway. So that's my card, Ed Whitson, nice. 1989, nice. great season. Levi, let it rip. You, you want me to go? Okay. Um, my card is a card that I don't know if any of you guys remember. I thought I still had one laying around, but I can't find it. But back in the late 80s, early 90s, you used to be able to get a book, and it contained the addresses to baseball players. Now, a lot of the times they would be like, you know, care of Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. Okay. But you could, and, but some of them were actual addresses. And it, it was, um, it was the book that used to sell the Beckett's, the Beckett's. One year I ended up getting, and I think it was around 95, 96. And, um, I was like, hey, I'm going to mail some and see if anyone will, you what you did was you wrote a little hand saying you liked that player, why you liked him and whatnot, and you enclosed a self-addressed stamped envelope, and you would hope they would sign the card, mail it back to you. And so two people out of maybe 125 of these letters that I sent out back then responded. And um, the one card I have tucked away, this one I found, and it is Don Mattingly. And Don Mattingly wrote me back and signed the card. Nice. And believe it or not, yeah, I would have never imagined that he would actually do that. Nice. The other player that did it was Mark Grace. And so that was really cool. Like, two really cool. That's pretty good. Similar baseball, you know, first baseman 
they both wrote me back. I couldn't nice. believe it. Nice. Do, do, do you have, so is it just the card or was there a letter, form letter or something included or what? No. <laughs> like, with the, with the... like poured out his hair <laughs> just falling apart. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you finally wrote. <laughs> Can we meet for coffee? <laughs> no, um, in fact, both of them were were just the cards in the envelopes. Okay. Nice. Yeah, nice. both of them. But, um, yeah, I couldn't believe that they took the time to actually do it. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I'm at line at the post office. Fuck, I, I need to stay in Madison. Leave it. <laughs> Seriously, why is the post office open like <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, um, uh, yeah, I guess that comes to me now. Uh, actually, Gabe, uh, mine's mine's kind of a Diamond King ripoff. Um, in '91, Fleer, 1991, Fleer um, released uh, some of their own uh, uh, illustrated cards, and yes. um, uh, mine again. I think I think I mentioned Clemens last year. Well, I have lots of Roger Clemens cards because I was a pretty big stupid fan of his in the 90s and so i got the uh, the one here where this this ball is on fire or something oh, is nice. glowing yes I've got nice yeah so uh I, I remember getting this and this was probably one of the coolest things i had ever seen and my dad actually uh took I this behind. and got it enlarged oh, like it's like what's that game it looks like a nice desert sky behind him, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like, uh, yeah. There's there's a moon up here and some clouds. Uh, it's it's really well done though. He's wearing his Boston jersey, so he's on the road somewhere, uh, maybe down in Arlington or something. And um, so, but but my dad, uh, my my dad got this blown up at a printer for like 24 by 36 size that I I hung up in my room. It was it was pretty cool. I often wonder how much that cost my dad back in 1991 to to do that. Um, it was probably a cool That's thirty forty cool. bucks uh, to do that. So yeah, yeah, uh, Clemens yeah. Uh, 91 Flair. Do you still have that? Do you still have that poster? It might be. Um, yeah, it might be. You know how you would you would put posters and posters and posters like just in the same thing. Yeah. So it might be a few layers yeah. deep in the strata of, of my childhood poster collection. Wow, I'd have to dig it up. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, like, I remember those, man. Yeah, those were... Oh, yeah. They were like 91, 92 Fleer around there, I, right? Mm-hmm. And then Ford did it like the year before in 90 as well. Oh, yeah. 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 And yeah. then Upper Deck had the checklist. Yeah, that was like... Like those, those were like the height of the art cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this is nine of twelve. So they, they did half a dozen, or I'm sorry, a full dozen of these. Uh, okay. So I have to look up to see who else they did. Right, right. Very cool, very cool, guys. Um, well, yeah, man. Another, uh, another episode can. So uh, good stuff all around. All right. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, well, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Um, we'll, uh, we'll. Uh, We'll be back soon and uh, looking forward to seeing everybody again.